Army PFC Jessica Lynch was captured during the Iraqi invasion in March of 2003. She was reported missing when her convoy was ambushed. During the time of her capture, her family waited. They waited and hoped for the good news that they longed to hear, but doubted may ever come. Acting on an intelligence tip about Lynch's whereabouts, U.S. Special Operations Forces slipped behind enemy lines and seized Lynch from the Saddam Hospital under the cover of darkness. So on a Tuesday evening about 6 p.m., the family heard about the rescue mission and got the news that they were longing to hear. Jessica was safe. Jessica's father, Greg Lynch, made an interesting comment in his response to receiving the message. He said, it took me a while to believe it. And now I can't wait to see my child. In today's passage, a man receives a message that he had been longing to hear. A message for which he had been praying. While he was waiting, maybe he too, like the Lynch family, wondered, perhaps even doubted, whether the good news would ever come. In fact, Greg Lynch's words could have been attributed to Zechariah, the man in our story, when he finally heard the good news of the message he longed to hear. It took me a while to believe it, and now I can't wait to see my child. Our passage is Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. Hear then the word of the Lord who speaks to his people. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. 
and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Lord, please Bless both the reading of your word and its proclamation. And I ask this through the power of the Spirit, Father, in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. So let's work through our progression of the passage like this. First, we'll look at verses 5 through 17, and we'll see that God himself sends a message to his people through an angel. And then in verses 18 through 23, we'll see that Zechariah actually disbelieves the message. And then finally, verses 24 and 25, we'll see that God's word, in the end, proves true, rather unsurprisingly. (laughs) But seeing what unfolds in our scene leads us to this main idea God's people need to receive God's word because it is intended to bless them and because it will prove to be true. God's people, we need to receive God's word because it is intended to bless and will prove to be true. Now Luke opens his gospel, as we talked about last week, with an implicit challenge to weigh the evidence of the detailed account that he offers so that Theophilus, the man to whom he wrote the letter originally, and those who read Luke's account, which includes us even 2,000 years later, so that we will have certainty concerning the things that we have been taught. About this, Luke is explicit. Now, I have no interest in running ahead and leaving a few hearts behind. So think for a moment as we begin. 
how is your heart processing? Or how is your mind thinking with respect to your certainty about who Jesus is and what he has accomplished? Now, my encouragement to you, no matter if you are fully confident or if your confidence perhaps is wavering, is every time we gather to ask the Lord to reveal the truth to you about Jesus so that you will have certainty about what you are taught. So then, how does Luke go about this task? How does Luke go about the task of helping us with certainty? Verses 5 through 7. He begins by rooting and grounding what he is saying in history. Now, every time you see a phrase like this in verse 5, in the, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. Or, for example, in that famous passage uh, at the beginning of chapter 2, and a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Every time we come across a phrase like that, I want you to rejoice. I want you to exult in that reality. Because what Luke is telling us is this really happened. It happened at this time in this place, and hear who, who are the people that were involved. Now, normally we just glance right over those types of phrases, right? So we can get to the good stuff. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, this is part of the good stuff. It really happened. Now, what's Luke doing here? Luke is helping us with our certainty by rooting what he's saying in history, by giving us names, places, and times. In contrast to what? Well, how about this? In contrast or in opposition to every other world religion. As opposed to the unverifiable ways that, that so many other religions started, the events of Christianity, do you remember Paul testifying at the end of Acts just a few months ago? Do you remember him testifying before Festus and before King Agrippa? And they said, Paul, your great learning is driving you out of your mind. And he looked right at him and said, you know these things are true. Because they didn't happen in a corner. Everything that happens in the Gospels happened very publicly. Therefore, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, as a believer in Jesus, you have no reason to doubt the truthfulness of Luke's account or to ever feel shame about the historical accuracy of the gospel accounts. Just to state the obvious, 
what occurred in and around the time of the birth of Jesus, that is, Jesus of Nazareth, was so historically significant that it literally changed the way time was recorded by altering the calendar to B.C. and A.D. The birth of Jesus was so impactful, history began to be described in relation to this event. That's a verifiable fact. What other religion can say that? Christianity is true. So, we learn about this man, Zechariah. We find out that they were God-honoring people, but verse 7 tells us that Elizabeth had been unable to have children because she was barren. So Luke gives us just a little context about their story. He says, Zechariah was serving as a priest during this time, verse 8, and the subtle sovereignty of God is again on full display here. As the lot falls to Zechariah to enter the temple and burn incense, verse 9. Now, during this time period, there were so many priests that were available for duty that they actually broke up into divisions, and each division only served one week at a time, and they only served twice a year. Then when they came to the temple, they would cast lots to see who actually got to perform the various functions. And in this case, the lot fell to Zechariah to burn incense, representative or symbolic of the prayers of the people ascending to God. So just based on probability, this was more than likely a once-in-a-lifetime event in Zechariah's life. He had the privilege of placing incense on the hot coals of the altar within the holy place of the temple itself. The smoke that arose represented the prayer of Israel and its representative, the priest, that is Zechariah himself. Note in verse 10 also that a multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Brothers and sisters, may this be true of us. Oh, that the Lord would cultivate in us a desire to go to him in prayer with absolutely everything that's happening in our lives. In the morning, when we first are awakened. In the evening, as the day is closing. And at every moment throughout the day, may God prompt us to pray. And may we respond in spirit-led obedience to that prompting and ask God to help us. Thank you so very much. Thank you so very much to those of you who are faithful to pray for us and for our church. Who knows what you have spared us from as you have asked God to protect us. Who knows what glories we are experiencing even now in hearts and in families and with our missionaries because you asked God to move. Thank you. 
Thank you for praying for us. Look, if we, if we have a corporate gathering uh, for prayer, whether it's on that first Friday at 6.30 in this room every single month, whether it's in growth group, wherever and whenever the people of God are praying, please pray. Because unless the Lord builds the house, we are laboring in vain. And I, for one, have no intention of wasting my life. May God be greatly glorified among us as a people, and may it be true of us that we gather as a multitude to go to the Lord in prayer. Now, what happens next is nothing short of just heart pounding. Verse 11, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him, as was typical when an angel showed up and revealed himself to people. So his fear is wholly justified. Put yourself in Zechariah's place here. You're in the temple, and you are in the most holy place. You are performing your duties, and you are praying, and you are alone. There's a multitude outside praying to God. Maybe you close your eyes for a moment as you're praying, or maybe you just look to the altar to the coals because you're about to add more incense. And as you look in that direction, you see an angel of God standing there. Now, maybe this goes without saying, but there's really no way to prepare to see an angel. It's so rare to actually see an angel that almost by definition, it will be unexpected when an angel shows up. So then, to this terrified man, the angel says three things. Do not be afraid. He calls him by name, Zechariah. And he tells him, your prayer has been heard. Now, to my knowledge, I don't have any experience talking to angels sent by God, unless I did unaware, as the writer of Hebrews mentions. But if, if I ever happen to see an angel in this life, I anticipate my heart rate beginning to soar as I hit the deck, right? As I just hit the deck, hit the ground, but if, if that angel, if that angel calls me by name, and if that angel tells me, do not be afraid, and if that angel says to me, your prayer has been heard, I anticipate my heart rate starting to drop. Here's an interesting question to think through, though. Verse 13 
What was Zechariah actually praying about? The angel says, your prayer, singular, has been heard. So it seems to indicate that the angel isn't just speaking kind of generally about the fact that Zechariah was praying or performing his priestly duties. The angel goes on to say, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And verse 14 And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Wow. Yet, I have a hard time believing that what Zechariah was specifically praying, given his age, given his response to the angel, and (laughs) given the rather delicate way that he refers to his wife's age, (laughs) she was advancing in years. I don't think he was praying specifically for a son. I think he had thought that that ship had sailed. I guess it's possible that he was praying for an heir since they were childless. But based on his response to the angel, I think verse 17 is the key that clues us in. What was it that Zechariah was praying about? In describing the son who will be born to Zechariah and Elizabeth, the angel says, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, that's not just a wow. That's a full stop. That's a timeout. Did... did, Did I just hear that right? Zechariah is a priest, and he would have known exactly what verse the angel was referencing, namely, the very last prophetic word uttered by Malachi. The very last time God spoke prophetically to his people. The very last verse in our Old Testament. Malachi 4.5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So, what might Zechariah have been praying? I, I think he may have been praying... Speak. Speak, O Lord, for your servant is listening. It's been 400 years since we have heard from you. I think he may have been praying, How long, O Lord, will you remain silent? I'm here representing your people, offering incense, praying that our prayers reach your throne. Lord, send a prophet as of old. 
Lord, you never gave me a son, but we need a son of Israel to help your people. It's been so long. Lord, we are languishing. Speak to your people. Speak peace to your people, O Lord. We need to hear a word from you. Send your anointed one. Tell us when. Tell us when Messiah is coming to deliver us. O Lord, rouse yourself and recall your government. Remember mercy. Have mercy on your people, Israel. And an angel appears, sent from God. While Zechariah and the people are praying, and the angel says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Now, what happens next? It might be comical if it weren't so serious. The reality of the situation washes over Zechariah. And as absolutely glorious as everything sounds that the angel announced, there's just one problem. He doesn't fully believe it. What the angel said can't be true, according to Zechariah's thinking, because it's impossible. I don't know how things work in angel land, but here... I'm way too old. So is Elizabeth. It's been decades since she would have been able to have a child. Now, I think I would have loved to have seen the expression on the angel's face or to see his body language when Zechariah responded in this way. How can you know this? That's your question? How can you know this is true? You see, here's the thing, Zechariah. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to you and to bring you good news from God. Look, Zechariah, you stood in this earthly temple fulfilling your priestly duties, representing your people, and you begged God to speak, to declare good news to his people. Zechariah, I stand in the presence of God, in the actual room in heaven after which this temple has been modeled. And the ancient of days who sits upon his glorious throne in unapproachable light, in the fullness of glory, surrounded by myriads upon myriads of angels, he who commands all things, great and small, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, he sent me to you with good news. Last night, last night when I was... When I was preparing, I got to this verse and I just, I just put my hands over my face and I just sobbed. So pure and so powerful is this reality. Gabriel doesn't really answer Zechariah's question. He basically says, think clearly, Zechariah. God has spoken. 
He sent me to tell you what he says. What do you mean? How can I know this? God says this is true. Therefore, this is true. Do you know that this morning? Do you know that what God says is true? Is in fact true? There's a famous saying that goes, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Now, while I appreciate the sentiment, to be more accurate, the saying should be, God said it, that settles it, therefore, I believe it. Because frankly, it really doesn't matter or not whether you believe it. If God said it, the matter is settled. But let us learn from the angel's response to Zechariah here. There is never, ever a reason to doubt the truthfulness of God's word. Ever. We have something far greater than a one-time visit from an angelic being, no matter how great that being may be. We have the written word of our all-knowing, all-loving God given to us by the Holy Spirit, delivered through faithful men like Luke. Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect. Spirit, Spirit, use the words that you inspired to minister to your people now, giving us confidence confidence that these things are true certainty that these things are true the law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul the testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple the precepts of the Lord are right rejoicing the heart the commandment of the Lord is pure enlightening the eyes the fear of the Lord is clean enduring forever the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether more to be desired are they than gold even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. That is 100% true. And we praise God for it. That is why we also praise God for the word made flesh who came and dwelt among us, for even when we fail to trust in God's word, even when we fail to obey God's word, even when we fail to delight in the glory of God's word, in faith we depend on the one who always trusted his father's word, even to death, death on a cross. We depend on the one who always obeyed his father's commands, and we depend on the one who always rejoiced in the word of his father for us, namely, Jesus Christ, our beloved Lord. Friends, rejoice, because though the grass withers and the flowers fade, the word of our God will stand forever. Rejoice and be glad because Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, 
He's the same yesterday and today and forever. But this world's really hard. So are the circumstances of your life causing you to begin, causing you to begin to doubt the promises of God? Despite their certainty? Does God's word sometimes feel like condemnation to you rather than blessing? Is the culture's all-out assault on the precious and eternal truths given to us by God about men and women and sexuality? Is it causing you to waver about what is actually true in reality? Is the relentless attack of Satan against the veracity and integrity of God's word causing your joy in God's word to be diminished? May it never be. Don't forget that this has been the devil's strategy from the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? Don't fall for this ancient ploy. The answer to the question is yes and amen. God really did say. God really spoke. And his word is true. In fact, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his glorious son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom he created the world. So this is the essence of the matter. Where does our confidence in God's word come from. We know it's intended to bless and we know that it proves to be true, but ultimately, where does our confidence in God's word come from? Brothers and sisters, ultimately, it comes from Jesus who is the word made flesh. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word, by the word, by the word of his power. So who are you going to believe when it comes to what is true? The devil? Some troubled pervert on TikTok? Some self-reference, self-serving politician? Or the Lord of glory, whose word created the sun, whose word created the moon and the stars, whose voice breaks cedars, whose word shakes the wilderness, and whose voice flashes forth flames of fire. Believe the one who, when he speaks, causes all those in his temple to cry glory. Psalm 29. Believe him. The sad reality is that Zechariah's question was, was not just an honest inquiry. It was also an expression of unbelief according to the statements, the angel's statement in verse 20 
because you did not believe my words. Because Zechariah did not receive God's word for what it really is, the word of God, he was struck silent. Think about how tragically ironic that is. After 430 years of silence, after, after 430 years of prophetic silence, God spoke. God finally spoke, and the man who could have communicated that truth to God's people was struck silent because he did not fully believe the word he was given. The people knew Zechariah had seen something, but they would have to wait a little while longer to find out what it was. Because their representative before God in the holy place within the temple actually had his prayer heard by God. But he didn't believe the answer God gave him to his prayer. That's why we as the people of God need to receive God's word as true because it is intended to bless us and because God's word will undoubtedly prove to be 100% true. And that's exactly what we see in the last two verses. Verse 24, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. To be clear, that's what God said would happen. And for five months, she kept herself hidden. Maybe she was worried. Is this baby going to really be okay? Or, or maybe she didn't want to deal with the reproach of the people. Imagine Elizabeth, advanced in years, saying, guess what? I'm going to have a baby. How would the people have responded to that? Elizabeth, honey, you're getting up there. Can't happen. And they probably would have been concerned about her mental state. But look what the Lord does. Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, listen to her testimony, to take away my reproach among people. This is so gracious of God, and we'll see that in the coming chapters, that this is exactly what happens, because when news gets out about the baby, the people rejoice. No longer is there re reproach. There is blessing and joy because of this child. Imagine what it was like for her, because there's a lot of hidden pain embedded in those couple of verses. Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. As it relates to the womb and all of the emotions surrounding the birth of a child, as Sarah testified this very morning. This becomes clarifying and true. It is the Lord who opens the womb of a woman and the Lord who closes the womb of a woman 
Blessed be the name of the Lord, for he alone is the giver of life. He alone gives life, and he alone has the right to take it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord our God forever. What God said would happen, happened. It always does. Elizabeth became pregnant with a son who in fact would be great before the Lord, who would come in the spirit and power of Elijah, who would be a voice crying in the wilderness, make a straight path for the Lord. Jesus himself would say of John, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. And John would say of Jesus, when he laid eyes on him across the river Jordan. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Brothers and sisters, believe the word of God. Believe the word of God and receive the word of God for he, that is Jesus, the word incarnate, he came to bless us and know with full confidence that every word, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God will come to pass. And it will come to pass for our good. And it will come to pass for the glory of God the Father, the glory of God the Son, and the glory of God the Holy Spirit, who is forever blessed. Amen, amen, and amen. Let's pray. Lord, it is it's overwhelming to think about your grace given to your people. Thank you for desiring to be known. Thank you for speaking to your people. Thank you for the gift of your word. Spirit, thank you for inspiring Luke to write these exact words so that we might have certainty. Specifically certainty about your goodness and your unsearchable greatness. Lord, you are so great. We, we want to tell the, the generation yet unborn the truth, the truth about who you are. So fill us with joy to overflowing now so that we would respond in song and so that we would respond in obedience to pass on the truth about who you are to the rising generation. And we ask these things through the power of your Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus, our beloved Lord. Amen.